All right. All right. I, I'm excited for us to be able to jump back in and continue um, our sermon series called Lead the Way, where we are studying the book of First Timothy. And what we we're looking at is that this is a letter written by Paul written to a young pastor and believer in Timothy, and how Timothy is to lead the way where he is at, where Paul has placed him. And, and we saw how he is to address false teachings. And that's what we saw two weeks ago, how, how we are to guard the gospel at all costs, how, how we need to defend the gospel. Well, tonight we're going to look at where Paul almost makes a little bit of a, a detour, if you will, takes a little bit of a step back, and, and he starts talking about his testimony and just the, the amazing story of his testimony. In other words, he wanted to celebrate the gospel. And we realized when we celebrate the gospel, that will lead to us wanting to defend the gospel. And so that's what we're going to look at. That's the title of tonight's message is, is Celebrate the Gospel. So if you have your copy of God's Word, we're going to be in the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1. First uh, Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 17 tonight. So again, First Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. And while, uh, while you're turning there, I, I just have a question for y'all. Anybody, you love just the crazy transformations, like the before and after photos of something. It could be, let's say, you know, the HGTV, where they take a home that just looks like it is falling apart. It is a disaster. And yet somehow they transform it into an amazing home. That it is just an incredible transformation. Or maybe you look at, maybe you're a sucker like me and you look at, you know, let's say when a team or a person rescues an animal and the animal just looks so in such bad shape and you can see the ribs on the animal and they're just their skin and fur and everything is just so bad. And then all of a sudden you just show the transformation where now they're just they're they're healthy. Their fur looks so much better. They're being adopted into a home and just we just love stories like that, don't we? Now, let me ask you this as, as a follow-up to, let's say, those before and after photos and crazy transformation. Let's say we look at the house that transformed from a disaster into a dream home. Does anybody ever take a moment and go, wow, that home really turned itself around. Look at how that home transformed itself. No, we wouldn't, would we? Why? Because the home didn't do anything. It's not like the home transformed itself. It's not like the home pulled itself up by its bootstraps, if you will, and, and turned itself around. No, no, it was a person or a team that transformed it. And we say, wow, look at the amazing job that that person or that team did. The home had nothing to do with it. It was, it was everything to do with the person or the team that transformed it. And I think a lot of times... In our spiritual lives, we can treat that the exact same way. Or that we can do the opposite in many ways as well. Is that someone might be transformed. And a lot of times we might want to take credit for that. Wow, look at what I did. Look at how I've transformed myself. But what we need to understand when it comes to any transformation in our spiritual lives that it has nothing to do with us and has everything to do with God and everything to do with his amazing grace and mercy. But here's the thing. Here's just the reality is that we are fallen, sinful human beings and we live in a fallen, sinful world. And we're prone to believe that we can transform ourselves. That we can bring ourselves from death to life and help ourselves grow in our spiritual lives. Or we like to think that we can add something to the gospel. That we want to have a little bit of skin in the game to our sanctification, if you will. Or another thing that we can be very prone to do, that we can be very guilty of, is that we're prone to just get over the gospel so quickly. And treat it almost like a curriculum that we learn in a classroom and then just move on from it. It's like, okay, I want to move on to the next thing of Christianity. Like, okay, I get it. This is like the diving board into the class known as Christianity. But what we must understand is this, is that the gospel is not the diving board into Christianity. 
The gospel is the entire pool that we're swimming in. The gospel is is not just another curriculum that we learn in a class. It is the entire class itself that we are constantly always in and living and learning. And so here is the main point for tonight's sermon is this, is that we must never get over the power of the gospel. We must never get over the power of the gospel. And we do this by preaching the gospel to ourselves daily. So as we're to do, so let's read this. Let's look at this. Again, we're in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. So let's look at this. This is what it says. This is the word of the Lord. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we we just come before you and we are just fallen, sinful human beings in desperate need of your grace. And we are so thankful that, that you are a gracious God and that you are a merciful God, that your mercies are new every single day and that you can just radically transform any life. And so as we come before you now, Holy Spirit, I just humbly confess I cannot properly teach or preach or exposit these truths just without your power. So Holy Spirit, would you purify me and everyone else in this room of our pride? Would you humble us before your authoritative word? Would you just illuminate the scriptures and open up our eyes to be able to just see even more of our need for Christ and how amazing Christ is. Would you just would you open up our minds to even be able to understand and grasp these truths from your word? And would you open up our hearts and help us receive this, just receive this with joy and humility? Would you, through the truths of your word, would you convict us of sins that, that we need to repent of? And give us just the grace and power to repent of those. But would you also encourage us with truths from your word that we might need right now in this moment. And through all of it, as we just receive this, would you help it uh, just bear fruit in our lives to help us become more of just uh, the followers of Christ. You've called us to be conformed just more into his image and help us grow closer to one another as a family, as the family you've called us to be. And then be able to take this out into our communities so we can make Christ's name known. So Christ, would you just be glorified and honored tonight just through the preaching and responding to your word. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if we are to celebrate the gospel, If we're to preach the gospel to ourselves daily and never get over the power of the gospel, then there's two truths that we need to always keep before us and keep in mind. And the first main point, the first truth is this, is that anyone can be saved by the gospel. Anyone can be saved by the gospel. So again, let's live, uh, give a little bit of context from two weeks ago. So two weeks ago, we studied how we are to defend the gospel against false teachers. That we're to guard the gospel at all costs. And that's what Paul was writing to Timothy, is that there is these false teachers. They're adding myths and just genealogies that make no sense. And they're adding things to scripture. They're adding things to the gospel. And Paul is giving this charge to Timothy to give to the false teachers to stop preaching those false teachings, to stop these false teachers from doing that, that we need to guard the gospel at all costs. 
And how we are to see that they're messing with the law, but all we saw is that the law exposes our sin. It doesn't save us from our sin. And then we saw at verse 11 that this is the beautiful gospel. This gospel of the glory of our blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Paul is saying that God has entrusted the gospel to him and he wants to guard it at all costs. Which also means that if we are Christian, if we have repented of our sins, and if we have believed in Christ, then we also have been entrusted with this amazing, glorious gospel as well. So we've been entrusted with the gospel, and we must never get over the gospel. We must know the true gospel, and we need to keep our awe over the gospel. And as we continue to do that and just have this awe and reverence towards the gospel, then we will want to defend it. At all costs, with humility and love. And so now we see Paul is stepping into this where he talks about how the gospel has impacted his life and talks about his own testimony. So he starts this in verse 12. He starts by being thankful to Jesus. So look what it says in verse 12. It says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. So Paul starts off by showing thanksgiving to Jesus in three ways. One, that Jesus gave Paul the strength for his life in ministry. Two, that Jesus judged him faithfully and trusted him with the ministry of the gospel to spread the gospel to the Gentiles. And three, that Jesus appointed him to his service in spreading the gospel. So Paul starts just with a word of thankfulness, a word of thanksgiving to Christ. And so we see this first truth is that the gospel produces thanksgiving. The gospel produces thanksgiving. You see, the gospel produces thanksgiving within us because we are just, we're to reflect on the gospel. And the more we reflect on the gospel... The more we see just how undeserving we are of grace and mercy, the more we see how gracious and merciful Jesus is. And that should make us thankful that he would choose to save wretched sinners like you and I. That that he would choose to extend grace and mercy to you and I when we're undeserving of it. That, that he would give us just strength for our life and our ministries of our lives. That he would appoint us to be able to be used by him in spreading the same gospel that saved us. So that should bring up a few questions for us to reflect on today. So I, just, I want you to think about this within your own hearts. Have you ever taken time to thank God for what he has done in your life? Have you ever taken time to thank God for what he has done in your life? Have you ever taken a moment and reflect on the ways that God has just blessed you in so many ways? Or do you only thank God when you pray for a meal? That's the only time we thank God. Do you only thank God on Sundays or Wednesdays because you think, well, I'm already here, so I guess I will do that. No, what we need to see is that the gospel should produce within us a constantly thankful attitude. We should be thankful that the Lord has saved us. We should be thankful that he's provided a way for everyone to be saved. We should be thankful that he gives us strength to wake up each day and function. Even though some of us might have taken a little bit longer to wake up this morning than others, he still gives us the strength to be able to wake up and function throughout the day. We should be thankful that he entrusts the gospel to us and we get to be a part of his plan, reconciling the world back to himself. The gospel should produce thanksgiving within us. So Paul is talking about just Him being thankful, about Paul being thankful for Christ, judging him faithfully and giving him strength and pointing him to his service. And now, starting in verse 13, Paul all of a sudden reflects on his past life, who he was before he met Christ. So look at what it says in verse 13. It says, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. 
So Paul said he used to be three things. He was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. So here's what those three mean. A blasphemer. A blasphemer means they're just they're irreverent towards what is sacred, which means they don't care about anything that is sacred. They don't care about things that maybe other people, religious people, hold dearly as holy and sacred. Paul did not care about that when it came to Christianity or when it came to Christ. It says, second, he was a persecutor. Which means Paul was doing this. He was systematically hunting down Christians. He was systematically hunting down Christians, persecuting them, dragging them off and throwing them into prison, and even trying to kill Christians or approving of other people killing Christians. Paul was a persecutor. And in fact, we even see this in the first few verses of Acts chapter 8. So in Acts 7, Stephen was stoned for just proclaiming the gospel to the people. And then it says in Acts 8.1, it says Paul approved of his execution. Paul approved of that. In fact, he was probably holding coats for some of those people so they could stone Stephen. And then in Acts 8.3, Paul says he, it says Saul now, it was Paul, or at the time he was Saul, before he became Paul. And it says Saul was ravaging the church. And he was entering house after house, dragging off men and women and committed them to prison, throwing them in prison. So Paul wanted nothing to do with Christianity. He was relentlessly pursuing these people so he could murder them, so he could persecute them. So Paul says he was a blasphemer, a persecutor. And then lastly, it says he was an insolent opponent. Insolent, it just means a violent. He was a violent man, offensive, outrageous. Paul wanted absolutely nothing to do with Jesus and his church. And in fact, the even crazier thing to think about is that Paul thought he was doing it for God. Him trying to stop the early church. Him trying to stop the spread of the gospel. Him wanting nothing to do with Christians and throwing them in prison and persecuting them and killing them. He thought he was actually doing that for God. But yet, look at what it says in the second half of verse 13. So we see, so Paul says, formally, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was an insolent opponent. And then in verse, the second half of verse 13. But I received mercy. But I received mercy. So Paul talks about who he was before he came to know Christ. And he still received mercy. So as we think about who Paul was before he came to know Christ, I I just want you to think about this within your own hearts. Who were you before you met Christ? Who were you? Before you met Christ, what what sins did you wrestle with before you encountered Christ? How would you describe yourself before you became a Christian? Or have you ever come to know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Do you not care about the things for this world? Or do you not care about the things of God? Do you not care about the things of God? Do you not care about Christianity at all? I mean, even so, even even if you care nothing about God and you care nothing about Christianity, you care about nothing about this gospel that we're talking about, I want to encourage you, you can still receive mercy. You can still receive mercy just as Paul received mercy. That is, if you will repent of your sins, if you'll turn away from your sins, if you'll place your faith and trust in Christ, in him. And that's exactly what happened to Paul. And we see, we see in the second half of verse 13 that Paul received mercy and why he received mercy. So it says, second half of verse 13, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Just think about this. Even though Paul did not care about anything sacred that had to do with Jesus, even though Paul was systematically, purposefully, and intentionally hunting down Christians, persecuting them, throwing them in prison, and even murdering them or proving other people of murdering them and killing them, even though Paul was a violent opponent of God that opposed God at every turn, that opposed Christ at every turn, Christ 
still showed mercy to Paul. Paul gave no reason for Jesus to extend mercy to Paul, yet he still did. And guess what? Jesus still does the same today. Jesus still extends mercy to us, even when we want nothing to do with Christ, even when we want nothing to do with Christianity, even when we're living in total open rebellion against God, that Christ still extends mercy to us. Because what we saw two weeks ago, we looked at how the law exposes our sin. The law reveals the sinful tendencies of our heart. The law reveals our sinful nature. The law reveals just the sinful habits that we might include, that we might be living out. Even if we look at just the Ten Commandments, one of them says, Thou shall not bear false witness, meaning that that you shall not lie. Anybody ever told a lie before? They struggle with lying. Another one says, thou shall not commit adultery, meaning that we shall not lust after someone. That Jesus said, even if we lust after someone, then we have committed adultery. If we lusted after them in our own hearts. One of them says, you shall honor your father and mother. Anybody struggle with, with honoring your mom and dad? With honoring what they ask us to do? One of the first ones is that God says, you shall have no other gods before me. Yet all of us do this so constantly. Where we might, put, we might put sports before God and how important we have in our lives. We might put school more important than God in our lives. We might have our relationship with a boyfriend or girlfriend and place that as more important in our lives than God. That there's so many times that we, that we will sin against God, yet you know we see that Christ still extends mercy to us. And so here's what the gospel does. The gospel not only should produce thanksgiving within us, but the gospel also reveals something to us. This next truth, the gospel shows us how sinful we are. The gospel shows us how sinful we are. Again, when we look at the law, we also realize the law cannot save us. The law cannot save us by obeying it because it goes so much deeper than just external obedience. It's an internal transformation that needs to happen. That it exposes the sins of our lives and points us to the gospel. That the gospel is the only way we can be saved. And so we see the gospel shows just how sinful we are. The gospel shows that there's nothing we can do in our own power to save ourselves. Because honestly, we don't want to be saved. That's what the gospel reveals. We don't want to be saved. In fact, we see this in Ephesians 2, 1 through 4. Where it says, we were dead in our sins. Not sick. Not, not hovering on the surface level of the water and, and waiting for someone to toss a life ring out to us. No, we are dead at the bottom of the ocean. It says we are dead in our sins. I mean, there's nothing we can do to change that. We're totally indifferent towards God. So it says we're dead in our sins. We're born with a sinful nature. We just naturally follow whatever the philosophies of this world are, whatever the teachings of this world are, whatever the world says is right. It says we are followers of Satan. And it says that we are children under the wrath of God. But then this beautiful verse in verse 4, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loves us. He made us alive together in Christ. That anyone can have a but God moment. That yes, the gospel shows us how sinful we are, but also it's just amazing that Christ yet still extends Mercy to us. He extends mercy to us. He extended mercy to Paul. Because again, Paul says who he was before Christ. And just how he deserved none of it. Yet he explains why he acted that way. He explains why he acted like a blasphemer and a persecutor and an insolent opponent. So look again at at verse 13. 
So it says, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. So that word ignorantly, it just means to be lacking in knowledge or information. And unbelief, it just means not trusting in or relying, let's say, on the God of Israel, on Jesus as Messiah. And so Paul was acting ignorantly because he did not place his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so naturally he was just acting as a sinner because we're all born with a sinful nature. You want to know why, let's say, our family members or our friends, classmates, teammates, coworkers, neighbors, you name it. You want to know why they act like sinners? Because they're sinners and they don't know any better. They haven't placed their faith and trust in Christ. So naturally, they're just living out this sinful nature that we're all born with. And our sinful nature always wants to look out for number one, which is us. We always want to be in control of our lives. We always want to be just the number one person. We always want to sit on the throne of our lives. We want to do what we want to do. We want to do what makes us happy and us comfortable and pleases ourselves the most. And so naturally, people, if they they haven't placed their faith and trust in Christ, is that they're acting ignorantly out of unbelief. Paul acted this way because he didn't place his faith and trust in Christ. Yet in verse 14, so we see in verse 13 that, that Christ extended grace towards Paul. And then in verse 14, we see that the grace of God is overflowing. So let's look at what it says in verse 14. So Paul says that I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And then in verse 14, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So that word overflowing in the Greek, it's this hyper word, which means just over or above, beyond, in excess, meaning just the grace of God is unlimited. That there is no end to the grace of God. That it is overflowing. In fact, this phrasing of Paul saying that that the grace of God was overflowing. It's the same kind of language that Paul uses in Romans 5.20. And this is what it says in Romans 5.20. It says, now the law came to increase the trespass. So as we saw, the law is pointing out the trespass means sins. So it's pointing out our sins. It's revealing our sins. And the law just shows just how deep our sins run and how many sins that we are living in and just how sinful we can be. And so it says, now the law came to increase the trespass. But, but when sin increased, grace abounded all the more. But when sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Please hear me on this. No matter how sinful you are, God's grace runs deeper. No matter what sin you are struggling with, his grace is stronger than that sin. No matter what sin you might find enticing or pleasing or just incredible, I promise you, his grace is better. It is always better. That's what we just sang about tonight, that Jesus is better. And no matter how much you might hate God, you might hate God and want nothing to do with God. God is still gracious towards you and extends mercy. Here's the thing, no matter how sinful you feel like you are, his grace never runs out and he never stops extending mercy towards you. No matter how far you feel like you've run away from God, his grace still relentlessly pursues you and he meets you where you are and he offers you mercy. It doesn't matter how much you feel like you are drowning in your sin, his grace overflows and runs deeper than that sin. His grace is better. His grace is stronger. His grace is more than enough. And like we see, his grace is overflowing. There's no limits to the grace of God. And that is just so amazing. So we see this next beautiful truth. The gospel shows us how gracious God is. 
the gospel shows us how gracious God is. So let me ask you this, again, for you just to to reflect on and think about within your own hearts. Do you feel like you have sinned too much and that God can never forgive you? Do you feel like that, that you're just, you're a lost cause? Do you feel like your sin defines who you are? Do you feel like, let's say, that addiction to pornography, you just feel like that is just what defines you. You can never get over it. Do you feel like uh, the anger that you have in your hearts for someone that you feel like has mistreated you or hurt you or your family, do you feel like that's just what defines you? You can never get over it. Do you feel like you're, you wrestle with self-image and you feel like that's what defines you? You feel like you just look at what society says is, is what you need to be and you feel like you don't measure up or what your friends or other people say and you just wrestle with that self-image and you feel like that is just what defines you and you feel like you can't get over that. Please, let me tell you this right now. It says in scripture, when it comes to image, that you are made in the image of God, that you are fearfully and wonderfully, uniquely, awesomely made in the image of God. And God said in Genesis, when he made us in his image, that it is very, very good. So don't ever let society tell you what your image should be. Do you, do you wrestle with gossip and feel like that's just what defines you? You can't help but spill tea, if you will. And, and that's all that, that you feel like that's just what defines you. Whatever the sin may be, do you feel like just that sin that you can't get over defines you? Let me encourage you with this. Your sin does not define you. Jesus does. Your sin does not define you. Jesus does. Your sin does not have the final say. Jesus does. You are never too far gone from the grace and mercy of God because, again, his mercy is always being extended to us. His mercies are new every single day. And as we see this in verse 14, that his grace is overflowing to us. It is over and above and beyond and unlimited. It never runs out. And it's overflowed towards us. It doesn't matter how deep you feel like you are living in sin. God's grace runs deeper still. God was gracious to Paul. God was gracious to Paul. He even met Paul where he was on the Damascus Road in Acts 9. In fact, when we see Acts 9, again, this is just a chapter over. We looked, at, we looked at chapter 8 where Paul approved of just the execution, the stoning of Stephen, and he's probably holding people's coats. And then in Acts 8, 3, it says that he is going from house to house, dragging Christians from their homes and throwing them in prison. He's, he's wanting to go kill more Christians. And then even in Acts 9, on his road to Damascus, he is breathing out threats. He is on his way to systematically persecute more Christians, yet God meets him there on that road. God meets him there on that road, and he extends mercy to him. He saves Paul. He turns him from Saul to Paul. Because we see that mercy and grace and love and faith are found only in Jesus Christ alone. That's what we see in verse 14. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So we see that this grace overflows to us. This mercy is extended to us. That we can have faith in Christ and, and the love of Christ. And it's only found in and through Christ alone, through his amazing gospel. If we will repent of our sins, believe in Christ, and just receive this gospel message. Because here's the thing. If God can save Paul, God can save anyone. If God can save Paul, God can save anybody. He can save those people that you see in your schools. Or those family members that that you might spend time with or see that you think there is no way they could ever come to know Christ. Yet we see that, that God was able to save Paul. And if God can save Paul, God can save anyone. Yet it doesn't stop there. We also see this first truth that anyone can be saved by the gospel. Anyone can be saved by the gospel. And then we see this next main point, the second main truth in this passage is this, anyone can be used for the gospel. 
Anyone can be used for the gospel. So what we see in verse 15 is we see the first of five trustworthy sayings that Paul gives. That Paul gives in, in, through First and Second Timothy and Titus. And so he says this, this saying, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. So what that word trustworthy means, it means sure, certain to occur. It's inevitable. So he's saying we can have confidence in this. Paul saying that this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance is his way of saying, hey, pay attention to this. Like you need, you need to pay attention to, to what I'm about to say. We should already be paying attention to what we read in scripture. But Paul's saying, hey, hey, pay attention, pay extra attention to what I'm about to say. It carried the same kind of force when Jesus would say in the Gospels, hey, I tell you. So Paul is very much emphasizing the importance of what he's about to say. So Paul says this, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So Paul states emphatically that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And this is the heart of the Christian faith. It says that Christ Jesus came into the world. He came into the world, which means Jesus took on flesh and he lived the perfect life that we couldn't. He obeyed all the laws, all 613 laws that we could not obey. All those laws that expose our sin and shows just how deeply our sin runs within us. He obeyed all of those perfectly. And he died on the cross to pay the penalty for all of our sins for all of time. It says Jesus came to save sinners. And we see this throughout the Gospels in Luke 19.10. Jesus just flat out states, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Or in Matthew 1, 21, as the angel comes and and is visiting Mary and and is saying, you're going to have, give birth to the son of God. The angel says, you will name him Jesus because he is going to save his people from their sins. Or in Mark 2, 12, Jesus said, hey, I did not come for the healthy. I came for the sick. I did not come for the righteous. I came for these sinners, which means Jesus came to save you and I from our sins. We are the ones that are lost. We are the ones that need to be freed from our sins. We are the ones that are sick. We are the ones that are sinners in need to be saved. Jesus came to save sinners like you and I. Then Paul says this, so Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. So Paul says Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom he is the foremost. Other translations might say chief, came to save sinners, of whom I am chief, or might say whom I am the worst. That word foremost, it just means first, best, ranking above all others. So Paul is saying that he is the worst of the worst sinners. Paul is saying, look, if we are ranking, if all of us are sinners and we're ranking who was like number one as the top dog worst sinner, Paul is saying, I am right there at the top of the list. I am number one worst sinner out there. Here's, here's the incredible thing we need to realize. Is this is one of the last letters that Paul ever wrote. Again, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, these are the last three letters that Paul ever wrote. So Paul is near the end of his, his ministry and his life. And Paul says that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He was the foremost. At this point, Paul has been faithfully serving Jesus for 26 years. Just to give context, I am 26 years old. So as long as I've been alive at the time that Paul wrote this, He has been faithfully following Jesus, yet he still says he is the worst of the worst sinners. Why? Because he never got over the power of the gospel. Because again, as we saw earlier, the gospel just shows just how sinful we are and how much we need Christ. And how Christ constantly extends mercy and overflows grace to us. So we see this next point. The gospel must continually humble us. The gospel must continually humble us. A way for us to be able to understand the gospel and view the gospel is we should view the gospel like a diamond. So whenever we look at a diamond, we could be amazed just how beautiful it is, how shiny it is, how, how just amazing it looks. 
But there might be after a while we think, man, we, we've seen it all. Okay, it's a diamond. It's okay. It's shiny. So what? But when we truly study a diamond, we'll see that there's more cuts to this diamond. We'll see there's more angles to this diamond. We'll see there's more aspects of this diamond that we might not have ever seen before. And so the more we study that diamond, the more we see just how shiny and beautiful it is. And the more we just stand in awe of how awesome that is. So let me ask you this. Are you continually in awe at the, at the fact that Jesus saved you from your sins? Are you continually humbled by the gospel? In fact, in Jude 23, there, there was a, a state evangelism conference put on by the Tennessee Baptist Convention uh, just a couple days ago that myself and, and Pastor Kenneth and Pastor Aaron went to. And the theme verse was Jude 23, where it's called snatching them from the fire. Because so it says there's people on literally the cusp of hell. They literally smell like smoke. And yet Jesus comes and snatches us from the fires of hell. Are you continually amazed that you were dead in your sins, on your way to hell, literally smelling like smoke, yet Christ snatched you from the fire and saved you? Are we continually in amazement and in awe over that fact? Are you continually amazed that even after we are saved, we can still wrestle with sin? Because here's the thing. We might be saved from our sins and forgiven of our sins. But we will still wrestle with sinful habits. Yet even we wrestle with those sinful habits. Christ still offers us mercy and transforms us more and more and more daily. Here's the thing. The gospel is not just information to be mastered, but it's a reality to be lived out. The gospel is not just information to be mastered, but it's a reality to be lived out. And Paul says in verse 16, okay, why? Why, why did he receive mercy? We see that in verse 16. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, as chief sinner, as the worst of the worst sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul received mercy to serve as a testimony to just how amazing the grace of God is, to just how powerful the gospel is. Paul is saying that if God can save even the worst of the worst sinners in Paul and use him to spread the gospel, then he absolutely can save you from your sins and use you to spread the gospel. Paul serves as a perfect case study for anyone today that says, well, I've just... I've, I've messed up too much. I've, I've sinned too much. I've, I've fallen too many times. I've, I've, made so, I've made a wreck of my life. There's no way that God could ever forgive me of this. And, and even if he could save me, there's no way I, I could be used by God. But again, God is perfectly patient with us. God is perfectly patient with us. Just as his grace never runs out, his Patience is without limit. His patience is without limit. Because again, it says that, that Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him. Think about this. God is perfectly patient with us before we come to know Christ. He's perfectly patient with us even when we're living in sin and want nothing to do with him. He's perfectly patient with us. Up until we become saved and even after we get saved and we're wrestling with sin and trying to grow more in our relationship with him. God is still perfectly patient with us as we continue to grow in our relationship with him. He's still continually showing grace to us. He's still continually extending mercy to us because he is perfectly patient with us. Because here's the thing. It's so that his perfect patience might be displayed through us. So we see the gospel is meant to be displayed through our lives. The gospel is meant to be displayed through our lives. That word displayed, it means to make visible or noticeable. So we are to make the mercy and grace and patience and love of God visible in our lives in the way we talk and act and live and, and interact with others. That we're to make all that visible before others. So let me ask you this. If I were to ask your friends or, or family, you name it, would they say you are a Christian by the way that you live your life? Would they say you're a Christian by the way you live your life? Do, do you make the gospel known to your friends at school? 
Do, do you stand humbly but firmly on the gospel around your friends, or do you kind of shy away from your faith when that comes up because you don't want to be seen as, as controversial or, or, or you don't want to rock the boat too much? You kind of hide that away some. Here's the thing. The gospel is to be meant to be on display in our lives in every area. The gospel ought to cause people to see the power of God in one's life. It ought to, ought to be able to see the power of God in one's life. It should lead people to question how such a radical change could happen in someone. Like, hey, this person used to just wrestle with lust, but now they're content in who they are. This person used to wrestle with their self-image, but now they're content in who they are. This person used to be angry at just everybody, and now they're the most peaceful person that I've ever met. This person used to just swear like a sailor, yet now they just speak the most encouraging words I've ever met. What gives? What's the deal? What, what has happened in that? And so our lives should serve as an example of the power of of the gospel and just see just how amazing Jesus Christ is, that his grace is better, his mercies are new every day. And so we should see this next point. The gospel is meant to point people to see and believe in Jesus. The gospel is meant to point people to see and believe in Jesus. That's what it says in verse 16. It says, but I receive mercy for this, that in me as the foremost... Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Because we've seen throughout this passage, we are totally unworthy of mercy. And it is only by the grace of God that we are saved. It is only by the grace of God that we are saved. We are are simply meant to be beggars, to tell other beggars where they are to find bread. The living bread, the bread of life, that we're meant to just to point people who are thirsty to find water. As Pastor Aaron preached this past Sunday, living water where they'll never thirst again. Because as we see in verse 17, Paul starts with thanksgiving and then Paul ends this with thanksgiving. In verse 17, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. Paul ascribes everything to God and describes just how mighty God is. It says that God is king of the ages, which means he is the eternal king for this life and the life to come. It says he is immortal, which means he is above and beyond and greater than death and saves us from death. He is invisible, so he's not constrained by time or place. Yet he chose to make himself visible through Jesus Christ. And in fact, he, he, that we are to display, we're to make visible his love and mercy and grace and perfect patience in and through our lives to other people too. And that he's the only God. So he's the only God. He, is, he has all the authority and he deserves all the glory and honor. So we see this last truth that the gospel is supposed to do. The gospel is meant to glorify God. The gospel is meant to glorify God. That is the entirety of the gospel, that we are to point people to Jesus so they'll believe in Jesus, and it glorifies God that he can even save sinners like you and I. That even He can even save the worst of the worst sinners in Paul. And again, Paul is saying that this was his testimony and the power of the gospel in someone's life. So, so let me ask you this to reflect on. What is your testimony? What what is your testimony? Here's a couple questions to help help kind of answer this first question. Here's the first of those two. Have you received the grace and mercy of Christ through the gospel? Because we, we, can't, we can't begin to have a testimony unless we, unless we repent of our sins, turn away from our sins, and believe in Christ. And receive him as Lord and Savior. Receive the gospel in our lives. So have you received the grace and mercy of Christ through the gospel? Second question, are you living out the gospel in your daily life? Are you living out the gospel in your daily life? Are, are you living out the gospel in the way you think and talk and act and interact with people? Are you, are you putting the gospel on display in every area of your life for people to see Jesus? Because here's what we need to understand. 
Our testimony is not just who we were before we were uh, before we were in Christ and then how we came to know Christ and kind of just some things Christ has done since then. No, our testimony is constantly ongoing. Our testimony is constantly ongoing, how Christ is working in and through our lives and displaying his perfect patience in and through us, even as we continue to grow more in our relationship with him. So we are to celebrate the gospel because anyone can be saved by the gospel and anyone can be used for the gospel. And so we need to preach this gospel to ourselves daily. And then as we preach this gospel to ourselves daily, we're to never get over the power of the gospel. Because the more we preach the gospel to ourselves daily, the more we realize just how amazing Jesus is and how incredible his grace is that overflows to us. And how he is constantly extending mercy towards us. And how anyone can be saved by the gospel. and Anyone can be used for the gospel. That should lead us to celebrating the gospel daily. And when we celebrate the gospel daily like this, we will cherish the gospel that much more and how amazing it is. And the more we cherish the gospel, how we deeply cherish the gospel, then the more passionate and humble we will be in defending this gospel against any false doctrines, against any false distortions of the gospel, and anything that people will try to do to add on to this gospel. Because we want people to see just how amazing the gospel is in and through our lives. That Christ Jesus came to save sinners like you and I. And that Christ Jesus can save anyone and use anybody. And that is such good, good news. And let us never get over that. Let's celebrate the gospel daily. Dear Lord, we, we are just so thankful for you. We're thankful for just your mercy that overflows to us and we're so undeserving. We're thankful for your mercies that are new every single day and you extend towards us even when we want nothing to do with you or even when we're struggling and wrestling with, with sins. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for just the gospel and its power that anyone can be saved. That anyone can be saved by the gospel. And that you can use anyone to just, just advance your gospel and spread to other people. That you can use all of us as just a, a, just a testimony to your perfect patience. So would you continue to help us? We thank you for your patience you showed through us. Help us continue to live for you and grow more in our relationship with you. Help us continue to strive in our relationship with Christ and we continue to make Christ's name known to those around us. I can thank you so much. It's, it's in the name of Jesus, the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, to whom all glory and honor is due. May all the glory and honor be due to you forever and ever. Amen.